0: It's 8.30 on Wednesday, April 12th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, training jets at the Naval Air Station Meridian are on the ground after a safety problem with the pilot's breathing systems was discovered. Hear from officials on steps to correct it.
1: We're doing everything we can to identify the problem and find ways to get the guys back safely in the air so that they can resume training and get back on track.
0: It's that time of year when hundreds of kids and adults with disabilities come to the state fairgrounds to saddle up. And after your health minute, find out why mold and mildew prevention in your home is something to take seriously. An expert tells us how to find it and how to get rid of it. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 200 training jets at three U.S. Navy air bases, including ones at Naval Air Station Meridian, remain on the ground due to safety concerns. The T-45C jet is used to train pilots for the Navy and the Marine Corps. Jets at bases in Mississippi, Texas, and Florida are out of service because of safety concerns over the plane's oxygen breathing systems. We are told engineers in Maryland are working to determine the cause of the problem. Commander Jeannie Greneveld is Public Affairs Officer for Naval Air Force's Command. She tells MPB's Mark Rigsby about the problems with the T-45C training jet.
1: So a little over a week ago, we had some of our pilots stationed there at Naval Air Station Meridian and at two other locations in uh, Pensacola and Kingsville, Texas, that while they were going through their flight briefings through the operational risk management portion of that briefing, they voice their concerns about risk associated with physiological episodes that have been uh, they've been seeing in the T-45 Charlie aircraft.
2: Do we know at this point what's causing this problem?
1: Unfortunately, we haven't found a smoking gun. We don't know exactly what is causing the problem. The um, T-45 Charlie aircraft has an onboard oxygen generating system, and we have uh, taken one aircraft from T40, or from Meridian and one aircraft from Kingsville that have had experienced physiological episodes during flight, and they have been moved to Air, which is located in Pax River, Maryland, and they are taking apart that system and doing a deep-dive engineering analysis on it to determine if they can find exactly what's causing the physiological episodes.
2: Can you describe these symptoms when they're having the physiological episodes?
1: Any aircraft that has a pressurized cabin is susceptible to physiological episodes. In this case, in T-45s, what we're seeing is, is problems with that onboard oxygen generating system where they're either not getting enough oxygen and getting hypoxic uh, symptoms or there may be a contaminant within the system um, we've recently replaced all of the uh, sieve beds, which is a filter material, in um, the O box for all the T45s. We just completed um, updating all of those in the T45s in December of last year. So we've been identifying things that have uh, been, that have, may contribute to the problem, but we haven't identified that one thing that is causing the problem.
2: How serious is this problem?
1: This problem is is something that has the concerns of of, uh, of all of our naval aviation leaders right now because we haven't found that smoking gun. We have uh, implemented some mitigation measures, some procedures. We've changed some, you know, identified some engineering fixes. There is an emergency oxygen system in the aircraft, so there are emergency procedures that we require be briefed prior to every flight that says if you feel a tingling or any hypoxic symptoms you pull you go through those emergency procedures which the first thing is is to pull the O-ring and the O-ring is a separate bottle of oxygen that filters into so that you get 100% oxygen filtering into your mask and In most cases, when you are experiencing hypoxia, if you go to 100 percent oxygen, it'll clear up the symptoms.
2: I understand that there was a meeting between Mississippi Senator Roger Wicker and people at the base, pilots, commanders. Can you tell us about that meeting?
1: He came down to talk with the pilots and the instructors and the leadership teams, to include my boss Vice Admiral Mike Shoemaker, who had um, the day prior to the senator's visit sat down with all of the leadership team's staff and instructor pilots and student pilots in Meridian.
2: Commander, thank you very much for being on the program with us. We do appreciate your time.
0: Thank you. Senator Roger Wicker tells MPB's Mark Rigsby more about how the problem is affecting the pilots.
2: The problem is a new problem. Uh, They've had a problem with with dealing with low levels of oxygen for quite some time. But this is a toxic uh, substance in the oxygen. And, and we don't know what it is. It affects the ability to fly the plane. It, it affects the decision-making of the instructor pilot as well as the student, of, of course, is not uh, very adept at, at flying. And it needs to be straightened out. We, we've seen instructor pilots and student pilots have symptoms hours and hours after they've already landed. And, and so this is new. It's unlike the previous problem. And we're, we're determined to get to the bottom of the problem, and I think we are. What are the symptoms they're having? Uh, sickness, dizziness, uh, in, impaired reasoning, um, and, and um, the, the physiological problems as well as concentration problems. Let's uh, t- One of them actually uh, was incapacitated in the cockpit and had to be physically dragged from the cockpit. And I think that was the, maybe the turning point. Um, instructor pilots at all of the three air stations that trained pilots heard about this. They knew about it, and they knew that this this is something different. Uh, it's not the traditional thing we've been dealing with for years. Do we know how long this is going to take to get to the bottom of it? No, we, no, we really don't. Uh, and you know, it's, it's it's a problem. It's like a physician has uh, with a patient. Once you find the diagnosis you're well on your way to, uh, to a solution. But we're at the diagnosis stage and we, we don't know how long that'll take. Talk about our military readiness when you have this type of setback. We are using trained combat veterans as instructor pilots. Because they've been in combat, they know what they're doing. They're training the next generation of pilots and they're training them because we need them. And so when you delay for five days or a week or two weeks, it, it sets you back, actually, more than just that calendar uh, period. It, it's, uh, it, it causes a cascading effect, and it affects readiness. Senator Wicker, thank you very much for being on the program today. We do appreciate your time. Glad to be with you.
0: Senator Wicker says some pilots refuse to fly after experiencing physiological problems. Coming up, Mississippians from around the state are gathering in Jackson for horses for handicapped. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, featuring Trustmark Deposit
4: Express, ATMs for business and personal banking. No deposit slips, no envelopes, no waiting. Most deposits made by 9 p.m. weekdays credited that day. Details at Trustmark.com, member FDIC.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Children and adults with disabilities are coming from around the state to enjoy social time created just for them at Horses for Handicapped. The event takes place each April, allowing participants to ride horses and explore other activities such as wagon rides and a petting zoo at the state fairgrounds. April is Autism Awareness Month. The month also features World Health Day with this year's theme focusing on depression. Horses for Handicapped lasts four days and sees over 2,000 people. Amber Howell is a parent of a seven-year-old with mitochondrial disease. She tells MPB's Alexis Ware she traveled from Union so her daughter could participate in things she ordinarily cannot.
5: Um, She does not, she doesn't walk. I mean, she gets on her knees and she kind of crawls while she stands up. Um, she wants to walk and she tries very hard, but she refuses to use a walker because she thinks she can do it on her own. Um, she does not have the cognitive ability in her hands to, to, to do sign language, and she doesn't talk. But we have a tablet that she can push buttons on. She's really smart. I mean, she, she just, she wants to do what she can't. She's kind of trapped in there. So, something like this really makes her happy. How often is she able to participate in
6: activities like this or other things?
5: Uh, well, um, our class regularly goes to the Special Olympics, but she doesn't go very often because being the only one in the wheelchair, she doesn't she gets to participate but someone else actually does the activity for her which is i mean it's cool i mean it is what it is but she gets to watch so which we, we try to take her to do things where I can take her out of her chair and let her play cuz she gets around very well out of the chair she's just on the ground and so we don't do a lot of that stuff but
6: and so how do you think she feels about all of the, about getting to, how do you think she feels about getting to ride the horses today oh she was tickle pink she, she was tickle pink about this one <laughs> thank you so much thank you
0: Rhonda Sullivan is an early development teacher for Perry County Schools. She tells our Alexis where the events allow her students to engage socially.
7: Well, I brought students from Perry County Schools uh, to the Horses for Handicap, and it's just a wonderful event. We've been coming for three or four years now, and it's the opportunity that the children just get to ride and be themselves. What are some of the disabilities that the children you work with have? Um, We have children that are developmentally delayed, we have autistic children, um, and some of them are uh, SCD children, significantly cognitively disabled, but now we're fortunate enough we don't have anybody in wheelchairs.
6: So bringing them to Horses for Handicap, what kind of benefits do you think they gain from
7: that? Well, they gain uh, social, a lot of social, learning how to interact with each other and um, how to interact with adults that they've never seen before, Um, like when they're riding the the wagons. The men are usually, you know, they'll ask them their name and make them talk, and that's good because, you know, a lot of times these children don't have any social skills. And then, um, of course, we we all talked about animals before we came. And, um, well, actually in my room, we've been doing a month's unit on animals. And so this is kind of like a conclusion to that. So what is then the general reaction from your students? They love it. They want to come back. A lot of these children came last year, and especially the older ones, they they oh they can't wait. What do the parents think about their children having the opportunity? Well, we have 14 children and 16 adults, so that right there should speak for itself. 16 adults are their parents that came with them. Um, well, let's see. I have a bus driver and and then I have five, uh, five teachers. So, but still, 10, 10 adults to 14 kids. That's still pretty good. All right,
0: thank you so much. Bye. Horses for Handicapped is a nonprofit that has grown to rely on help from more than 250 volunteers. Secretary Steve Godbolt tells MPB's Alexis Ware interacting with the animals can offer some benefit. It
4: started 36 years ago when they wanted just to provide a day of fun for those people with either mental or physical disabilities just so they could have a day of fun. And it's continued to grow, you know, ever since then. We reach out across the state for volunteers, you know, and participants. Over our four-day period, we will have over 2,000 participants. And the people who bring their, their horses and wagon teams are all volunteer we, we are an all-volunteer organization. We're a 501c3 charity. So we're here just to be here for our participants, just to have a good day of fun, and that includes a horseback ride. They get a wagon ride. We have a wonderful petting zoo. We have a great games area. We also have six inflatables that they can play on.
6: What groups of people are participating in today's events?
4: As far as participants, it's from children all the way to adults. They can come from schools. They can come from special centers, maybe the Hudspeth Center. I think Mustard Seeds sending a group this year.
6: And so, for all of these activities, why wow, this is good for people with disabilities?
4: They get the physical interaction and contact with animals, both from the horseback ride, you know, or the wagon ride, or what, or the petting zoo. The Natural Science Museum is down this year, and they have an alligator and. Snakes, but just for anybody who maybe even lives in the city, you may these may be animals you never get a chance to interact with. So at least this is an opportunity, you know, to come and do that. And how many people get to come and ride a horse? Um, they're able to get out and be with other people. Uh, just the social interaction.
6: And so, how many people, on average, every day are? Here participating.
4: I think we had 547 participants. This does not include teachers or chaperones, and we're going to ha- we're we're pegged at right at 550 each day for the next three days. And and I will say we we, we get wonderful support from the Mississippi State Fairgrounds. I mean, they set all this up for us. And they do a lot. Magnolia Health has helped us, Wrangler. So we we get some great support like that also. We're just very indebted to, you know, the volunteers and and the supporters who come together, you know, at this time to put this on. And if they didn't come and they freely come. If they didn't come, this event wouldn't happen.
0: All right. Thank you so much for speaking with
4: me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you.
0: Steve Gobbold, Secretary for Horses for Handicap with our Alexis Ware. More information on this event is located on the website at horsesforhandicapms.com. Coming up, a state health specialist gives advice on how to rid your home of mold and mildew before it aggravates your allergies. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
8: Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. It's that time of the year again. The weather's looking good. It's time to get out and do a little yard work. You forget that you're not supposed to bend over. You're supposed to squat to pick stuff up, and all of a sudden, there it goes. Your back is out again. Here's the good news. Eighty-five percent of low back pain that occurs without any serious injury, like an accident, is gone within seven weeks. I'm not saying you should just ignore it, but there's some simple things you can do to keep from having x-rays and other procedures you don't need to be done for this problem. Number one, don't go to bed. Bed rest is not helpful in simple low back pain and can make your recovery slower. Secondly, try a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agent like Naproxen, also known as Aleve, by the manufacturer's recommendation twice a day. And always remember to take a stomach protector like Prevacet or Prilosec when you're taking non-steroidals because they really can tear up your stomach. Tylenol does not seem to be helpful for low back pain. I don't recommend muscle relaxants because they tend to make you loopy But physical therapy, acupuncture, heat, and massage can be very helpful. My number one go-to for low back pain, acute low back pain, is bracing. And I like the back braces that you can get at the drugstore or at a big box store wrapped tightly around your waist. This can give you some relief, facilitate mobility, and hopefully get you back in action real soon. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo.
4: The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com.
8: Live healthy, live blue.
0: Mississippi's humid climate creates a perfect breeding ground for mold and mildew, especially in cluttered, unventilated homes. You may find mold in damp clothing left in the washer. It could be dark spots on walls and ceilings, especially in the bathroom, kitchen or attic. According to staff at the Mississippi State University Extension Service, mold growth usually begins in areas that are unseen or difficult to access. As you begin your spring cleaning regimens, you may want to Add home maintenance projects like sealing leaks and cracks to your list cut off moisture by keeping the home well ventilated and clean dr. David Byes is an MSU state health specialist he tells us fungi could cause major health risks and compromise a home's condition
3: there are many many different kinds of mold and people will often say well I think I've got black mold and and that's a that's really a misnomer lots of mold types are black um, people are concerned about the health effects of mold as they should be. And and so people will think that if it's black, maybe that's the, the worst type. And really the worst type is a toxigenic type of mold. That's just a fancy word for saying a mold that emits toxins.
0: Is that something that's common in Mississippi?
3: It is common in Mississippi because of our high humid climates and um, because of the way that our homes tend to retain moisture.
0: What concerns are there? I mean, can someone get sick from mold in their home?
3: They can. So there's, you know, with a lot of conditions uh, that exacerbate a health condition, there's what we call a dose response. That means that with increased exposure to said condition, you can predict that a certain type of person may have an increase in the worsening of that condition mold is is different, in that we don 't really know how much mold exposure will cause people to have a worsening of their health conditions. But what we do know is that um, is that it can exacerbate things like asthma, allergies it can be very cause a lot of discomfort to people who have those conditions, but we do know that because of those toxins that mold emits. Um, they, they put off spores, and folks can breathe those spores in, and those can be taken up in the lungs and cause a problem.
0: I know your specialty is inside, but we also have mold spores outside that can cause irritation to people's, you know, airways.
3: That is correct. Um, but it I, sounds not... like
0: the mold on the inside of the house, because it's in a contained area, it wouldn't dissipate as quickly.
3: That's right. We need airflow. We need adequate airflow in the home um, to be able to prohibit and inhibit the growth of those mold spores. Um, and that's one of the reasons that we have the problems that we do, because we have moisture in a contained space uh, without the ability for that space to breathe.
0: Okay. In full disclosure, I have under my kitchen sink, it smells so musty. So last mm. week I took everything out from under there and I found a couple of damp spots and I used disinfectant and all that and it's been a week, and it still smells horrible under there.
3: May take time for it to air out. I would put a fan on it. Yeah. So you uh, definitely did the right thing by cleaning it first. It sounds like you, you know you removed the stuff, you cleaned it. That's the first step. A lot of folks will resort to bleach. I think your use of Lysol was probably a good one, a disinfectant. Um, bleach is is not necessarily recommended.
1: Why? Um, Why is it all, that?
3: Well, it it also has side effects and and. It's a volatile organic compound. The fumes that are released from bleach can cause problems for people who may already be experiencing problems from the mold that they're trying to clean. The big thing that we need to do is clean the mold, increase ventilation. So we don't want to just uh, to just bleach the mold. And uh, you know, I tell people that if you if you put bleach on a black mold, then you're not going to be able to see it to clean it off, um, and it doesn't always kill it, um, particularly if you're you know if you're not using a a, a concentration that's appropriate for How that. How do if you we,
0: clean it? What's the best thing to do?
3: Yeah, so so use just a general cleaner uh, and you can use a cleaner that doesn't have bleach in it. Uh, that's what we recommend is is to avoid the bleach if, if at all possible. Use a little elbow grease, get, get the stuff off and increase the ventilation. So if you just put bleach on it or you just clean it, you're really only dealing with the surface level problem. You've got an underlying ventilation issue uh, that needs to be addressed if you continue to have that mold. And so so it's important to clean it and then fix the problem. That if you've got a bathroom, for instance, where you continue to, to see mold pop up in your shower or on the ceiling of your, of your bathroom, you need to check for leaks, number one. And then you need to check for, for ventilation issues. Do you have that bathroom properly ventilated? Are you turning it on when you take a shower? If you don't have that if you don't have that ventilation, perhaps you need to speak with a professional about having it put in or open the window in the bathroom. Certainly if you don't have a window or um, a vent in there, you need to speak with a professional about getting that addressed right away because you will at some point see mold. And And in some cases that mold may not be visible to the eye. And folks will sometimes uh, become ill, continue to go to their doctor. I don't know why I feel so bad. I don't know why I feel so bad. You know, and, and a good physician may ultimately say to them, do you feel better when you leave home or worse when you leave home and if people answer I feel worse there's an indicator that there may be something going on in their home environment so I ask the listeners to consider that question of if you're having residual say what you perceive as a sinus headache in Mississippi everybody likes to say I've got a sinus headache if you've got a sinus headache does that come or go when you leave home if it comes when you get home and it's better when you're away from home you know, you might want to check your environment and see if you've got some things like mold potentially growing in your in your space.
0: Dr. David Wise is the uh, Mississippi State University Extension State Health Specialist. Dr. Byers, thank you so much. Thank you. And more information on mold and moisture is located on their website. That's extension.msstate.edu slash HHI. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB public media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition. Only on MPB Think Radio.